disclaimer! Most of the world doesn't share your opinion. Warning. Proceeding without caution will bring you into spoiler territory for the media displayed on screen. Timestamps are gifted in the description and comment section. Viewer discretion is advised. So Batman 89 is out and the Cape Crusader is now dark in the mainstream. What comes out of this? Well, in 1992, we got Batman Returns, we, we don't talk about that movie, but also in 1992, we got Batman the Animated Series, a cartoon made for both children and adults alike. Developed by Bruce Timm, Paul Dini, and Mitch Bryan. How dare this fucking idiot not mention the absolute queen that is Andrea Romano for basically being the entire reason why we got such iconic roles in shows. Shame! The series would go through three different versions. Obviously, the original from 1992 to 1995. A new version with the characters getting a heavy redesign called The New Batman Adventures that would take part from 1997 to 1999. And Batman Beyond, a show set in the future of the animated universe, as well as an old Bruce Wayne letting a new and younger Batman fight crime in Gotham. This show would take place between 1999 to 2001. In between the nine years that this universe lasted, it managed to have four movies come out of it. Mask of the Phantasm and Sub-Zero set in the place of the animated series. Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker, obviously set in Batman Beyond and Batman Mystery of the Batwoman set in the place as the new Batman Adventures. So how do these movies hold up? Well, let's find out with me going through all four of the movies and giving my thoughts on each of them individually, and then, of course, how I feel about them as a whole. So let's get right into it. Mask of the Phantasm was released on Christmas of 1993, over a year after the original Batman the Animated Series started airing. The movie follows a mysterious figure that goes by no name in the movie, but is the Phantasm, who's voiced by Seiichi Keech, going around and killing off the members of a mob gang, which causes the blame for the murders to be put on Batman. While Batman, voiced by the amazing Kevin Conroy, tries to figure out who's doing all the killings and has to put a stop to it, you have the mob leader Sylvester Villestra, voiced by Abe Vigoda, hiring an old friend to do the same thing, that old friend being Joker, voiced by the wonderful Mark Hamill. On top of all this, you get flashbacks of Bruce creating and becoming the Batman, while struggling because he met the love of his life, Andrea Bemount, voiced by Danny Delaney. Where do I begin with this movie? The animation alone is absolutely beautiful. It's so blissful and smooth that there were times that I just zoned out and stopped paying attention to the dialogue and the story, and was just paying attention to how fluttery the characters are while they move. Gotham looks amazing, the soundtrack is astonishing. But unlike Tim Burton, this movie brings both style and substance. And funny enough, I think this movie has a few very key similarities to Batman 89. You have Bruce earning a love interest that he can't be with due to the fact that he's Batman, but she eventually finds out, so they're able to be together, possibly, but not actually. You have the Joker and giving him an origin as a mob boss named Jack Napier. And you have a bit of Batman's origins, but it's not the key point of the movie. Only, I think Mask of the Phantasm does these three things a lot better than Batman 89. Starting with the Joker, because it's the smallest of the three. In Batman 89, most of the movie is revolved around the Joker and his origin story, giving very little of one towards Bruce and Batman. While in Phantasm, you're given just a small little scene showing a photo where there's a mob boss that Batman draws a massive red smile on it, 
showing that he looks a lot like the Joker. Honestly, I much prefer the subtle approach of giving Joker an origin while having the original person, Jack Napier, barely show up in the movie and never having a line of dialogue. And let's be honest, Mark Hamill's Joker is so much more superior to Jack Nicholson's. Then you have Batman's origins, which aren't really discussed much in Batman 89, except for just showing his parents getting killed and him saying that he just has to be Batman because no one else will. While in Phantasm, you get these segments of the movie showing Bruce as an adult slowly crafting the Batman identity, trying out his moves on criminals, practicing jujitsu, finding the inspiration for the Batmobile, creating the suit, and actually giving us a reason why he does it. I talk to my parents. What'd you say? I made a vow. What vow? A secret one. And finally, you have the love interest. This one's a big one because in Batman 89, Bruce falls in love with Vicky, tries to tell her that he's Batman and fails, then eventually she finds out and they live happily ever after. I except not actually because she's never to be seen again. It's a very tacked on romance that honestly just doesn't fit into the movie. Meanwhile, in Phantasm, Andrea is a massive part of the movie and Batman's origins. Bruce contemplates continuing his promise with his parents, eventually ending up at their grave, begging them to let things change because he wants to be with Andrea, giving us the best line in any Batman movie ever. No, I made a promise. I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. God, the emotion Kevin puts in this line is so good. He even gives up on being Batman just so he can be with her, which ends up falling through, leaving him to go back to the original plan of being the Dark Knight. Andrew even figures out his identity in a scene where only two words are spoken to each other. You. So good! Andrew and Bruce eventually end up back together, thinking they'll be able to live their lives and be happy together, but that ends up not going according to plan. Mask of the Phantasm, genuinely in my eyes, is Batman 89 done right. Also, fun fact, according to Andrea Romano herself, the only reason why the character is named Andrea is because she was so in love with Kevin Conroy that she wanted an excuse to have him say her name in a loving whale mayo. As Kevin and I started working together and we did, uh, you know, a couple of sessions and, you know, Kevin didn't even really know how to give a level yet or what fight wall was or what all those sound effects were that you guys know how well, you know, how, how to do it so well. And um, so Kevin, I would say at the beginning, give me a couple of, of uh, fight sounds, you know, <laughs> throw a couple of punches, throw a couple of batarangs and he would do that. <laughs> and then I say, take a few punches. <laughs> And he would do that. And then because I loved his voice so much and I was already falling deeply in love with him, oh. I said to him, maybe the third session, I said, and now say my name and character. And he said, oh. actually, you say it. He said, Andrea. And that was it. <laughs> love, 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 love. We made a movie that I personally really like. It's called, um, I would have totally forget it, Kevin. Which one is the one with Andrea in it? Mask of the Phantasm. Mask of the Phantasm. Which I think was the very first movie we ever made. It was exactly. the first one. The feature with Andrea Beaumont. Yeah. Exactly. Which was named after me just so that we could have a moment where Kevin could say, as Bruce Wayne, who was really sick. Oh, Andrea. Oh, but the review doesn't stop there. I got more shit to say. 
This movie tells so much while saying so little. There's multiple times throughout the film where words are barely or never even spoken, and the visuals just tell you everything, and it's so good. Like the aforementioned origin of the Joker, or when Bruce says that he's changed the plan, and then immediately a cave full of bats come flying out, representing his parents, telling him that he's not allowed to change the plan, and he must continue with his promise and become Batman, which is just so fucking good. Or even something so little as Andrea wearing a widow's mask on the boat, letting other people know that her husband is gone, but letting the audience know that she knows she needs to be separated from Bruce and is willing to. Along with the scene happening right after the showing of her still being alive and safe just by showing a necklace. And this next example, I have to preface this with a major spoiler warning, and, and, and I mean major, like, like, please, if you have not seen this movie or do not know what happens in the tail end of the film, please do yourself a favor and click out of this video and go watch the movie, because I wish I could go back to when I didn't know this information. Three, two, one... Okay, so the Phantasm is actually Andrea plotting her revenge towards the mob leaders who killed her father. And the reveal of this is done twice back to back, but in such different ways that it's absolutely amazing. The first time it's revealed is shortly after Andrea tells Bruce that her father is the Phantasm. You see her standing outside of the Joker's hideout, which actually happens to be one of the places her and Bruce went on a day to, but her body is covered by a shadow, so her black clothes seem fine. It goes to a close-up on her face where it takes you to a flashback of her coming home and seeing the Joker himself, Jack Napier, come out of the house and that's where you find out her dad's been killed. It then flashes back to the present where you still never see what she's wearing. Then we cut to Joker in his hideout, talking to his robotic wife and self like usual, and then soon enough, the Phantasm shows up, where Joker then just simply refers to him as a she and Phantasm takes his hood off to reveal Andrea. So the flashback scene perfectly explains who Phantasm is with little to no words and without downright saying it, and then almost immediately downright tells you without it being terrible or a waste of a flashback or feeling like it had to spoon feed you information. But in fact, feeling like the two reveals are intertwined with each other in a way. And because of that reveal, when you go back and rewatch the movie, the first scene with Andrea doesn't take place in the timeline of the movie structure, but obviously prior to the opening scene. It's just something that small that can make a massive impact in a movie, and I think it's amazing in here. And you wanna know one of the great things about this movie? I haven't actually seen a review of it prior to writing the script. The most I've seen is Kevin Conroy himself saying that he thinks this is the best Batman movie ever, which is a thousand percent valid because this is a beautiful movie. But the only thing he ever mentions is just the personal struggle and Bruce being a thing in the movie and the amazing line about not knowing he'd be happy. But I'm still able to watch this movie and understand all the little details put throughout the story. And I only have like one working brain cell. <laughs> Other things I liked about this movie was how amazing the reveal of the Batsuit is, because it just shows you Alfred's reaction without saying any words during it, but you see how the suit finally achieves Bruce's goal in striking fear in people. Speaking of Alfred, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is absolutely amazing as him, as with everyone else who plays the character. I love the chemistry between Bruce and Andrea, the comedy in here being top-notch for a Batman film, and even Bruce himself has a few jokes that don't feel out of place. 
You expect every guy you meet to call you up? <laughs> is my shirt too big or is that my flesh crawling? Once again, Mark Hamill's Joker is an absolute blast to be around. Business. I got... Ooh, business sounds like fun. And also, there's a WB logo found on the side of one of the Joker's small buildings that I thought was kind of neat. The only complaint I have with this movie is how during the big action scenes or the scenes where Phantasm is killing the mob, I kind of just zone out during them. They're not bad, the animation is really good during them, and even in some of them they're insanely great, but they end up just being the only scenes in here that I don't really enjoy as much as I do with the rest of the movie. But that only affects the final score I get this movie by just a very, very tiny bit, and overall, this is an insanely solid film, especially for a Batman one. I absolutely love this movie, and like I said, Kevin Conroy is so insanely valid to think it's the best one. Sub-Zero was released on March 17th, 1998, and follows Mr. Freeze, voiced by Michael and Sarah, having to save the life of his wife, Nora, due to the tank keeping her alive being destroyed by a crew of... To be honest, I don't really know. <laughs> but due to this, Freeze ends up kidnapping Barbara Gordon, voiced by Mary Kay Bergman, because she's the only person out of 18 people, apparently, that can save Nora's life, but at the cost of her own. And because Barbara has been kidnapped, Batman and Robin, voiced by Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester, have to rescue her. The movie itself is surprisingly pretty great. I wasn't expecting it to be able to hold a candle to Phantasm, but it was a very quick and really enjoyable watch. Michael and Sarah's Freeze is pretty good. Prior to this, I had only heard Alfred Molina and Morris LaMarche, and while I thought Morris with the voice modifier was insanely terrifying, and Alfred's performance was very entertaining and fit the show and the design of the character, I gotta give Michael and Sarah the win here. His voice fits so well with the character and the design of Freeze used here. And though I just said I gotta give him the win, um... Being completely honest, it's it, it's always going to be a trade-off between Michael and Morris. Like, come on, that fucking voice modifier is terrifying. What do you want with me? I just require a moment of your time. Mary Kay Bergman replaces Melissa Gilbert as Barbara Gordon, which is fine, I guess, but... I prefer Melissa Gilbert's performance a lot more though. The party scene is where I have the biggest problem with Mary's voice because she sounds like she's trying to do a Harley Quinn impression for some reason. Hey there. Hmm? Oh, sweetheart. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Sorry I'm late. Mwah. It's really weird and sounds really off, but for the rest of the movie, it's it's fine. Speaking of Batgirl, this movie reminds me a lot of Batman and Robin, given how they both have Batman, Robin, Batgirl, and Mr. Freeze. I was half expecting Ivy and Bane to show up at one point in this movie. <laughs> And I guess I was right to feel that way, because this was made to go alongside with Batman and Robin, but was delayed after that movie bombed immensely. And obviously, this movie is so much more superior. And as much as I'm not the biggest fan of Mary's Barbara slash Batgirl, she is a goddess compared to Alicia Silverstone. Anyways, the pacing of this movie is pretty good with the time not really having any feel to it. I paused the movie about 40 minutes in to go get pizza, and it hadn't even felt like it'd been 40 minutes. It felt more like 10 to 20. But I do have to say, 
this movie does have some more flaws than Phantasm did. For one, the animation and the art didn't feel as smooth and blissful as the first one, and it just overall felt kind of meh. I'll admit, there was a scene of Barbara ziplining that looked really nice and just reminded me of some, like, 90s anime. But then there's times where the animation looks both visually stunning and like a PS2 game at the same time. And the action scenes still are kind of lackluster for me. But I will admit that the final climax is insanely good in both an entertaining and storytelling aspect, giving me the feeling of excitement but also making me very nervous for Barbara, Freeze, and Nora. The ending is easily the best part with Freeze being off into hiding after being pronounced dead, which I myself believed he was dead before it was revealed. Looking through the windows of a cabin playing the news, announcing that Nora has been cured and has made a full recovery. At the side of the news, Freeze smiles and starts crying from happiness, then turns around and walks away with his two polar bears while the screen fades to black and the credits start rolling. Dead ass felt like I was gonna cry because of how nice and wholesome this ending is. Apparently, Bruce Tim didn't like the fact that Nora survived. Well, fuck you, this ending is great. Overall, the movie's enjoyable, and while it obviously wasn't going to be able to top Phantasm, it's still pretty great. Batman Beyond Return of the Joker was released on Halloween of 2000 and is set in the Batman Beyond universe, which, like I said in the beginning, is just the future of the Batman animated series universe. In here, Bruce Wayne is an old man and can no longer be Batman, so he gets a new kid named Terry McGinnis, voiced by Wolf Riedel, becoming Gotham's new Batman. Well, turns out, Joker's back, which causes major panic among Gotham, but confusion among Bruce and Barbara, voiced by Angie Harmon, because they saw Joker get killed all those many years ago. Now, this is where I need to preface that prior to me watching this movie, I had saw the Nostalgia Critic video on the best Joker death scene, and even though it outright says where that scene's from, I had no idea while watching this. So when Joker is knowing about Bruce being Batman and when they mention his death, I'd thought of that scene, but thought it was like the ending of the animated series or something. And then it just starts playing partway through the movie. <laughs> Which, yes, I absolutely love it. It shows a side of the Joker showing how truly fucked up he is, while also showing how fucked up Harley's been ever since she got with the Joker, how she just overlooks how sickening this is. How could you help Joker do it, Harley? Okay, so he roughed the kid up a little, but I'll make it right. Before this scene, it's revealed that Joker does know who Batman is, but in here, it explains how he found out and is even able to make it shocking a second time. And the dear lad began to share such secrets with me. Secrets that are mine alone to know, Bruce. On top of how spectacular Mark's performance is. It'd be funny if it weren't so pathetic. No, what the heck, I'll laugh anyway. <laughs> Speaking of performances, Kevin is amazing as usual. Same goes for Arlene's performance as Harley Quinn, obviously. Sweetie! As much as I love Tara Strong's performance, because that's the one I got used to the most, Arlene is easily the definitive voice of Harley. Tara Strong is in here as well as Barbara Gordon, which I like her a lot more than Mary Kay Bergman, but I don't really know if I like her more than Melissa Gilbert or not. I, I think I do. And speaking of Barbara, Angie Harmon plays the old Barbara character really well. And then there's Will Friedel as Terry McGinnis, which I had no idea what the character was like, but I gotta say, I really like it. For my basic ass knowledge on the character after watching this movie, 
Uh, I can come to the conclusion that Terry is basically the Spider-Man of Batman, and Will's delivery and voice is absolutely amazing for it. The fight between him and the Joker, where he's just making fun of him and mocking him, is just so fucking great and had me laughing so much throughout it because of how enjoyable the entire scene is. And speaking of fights, this movie really steps them up for me. I found them to be incredibly entertaining. Some more positives I'll give are I like the reveal of who Tim Drake is. At least for me, when he was introduced, I thought it was just an old Commissioner Gordon. Which, looking back on it, is really fucking dumb because he obviously looks a lot younger than Gordon ever was in the original animated series. But, I, I mean, they never actually downright say his name until after the whole backstory of Tim Drake. Like I said, I only have like one working brain cell. I also love the Batman Beyond suit. It's so smooth and slick and absolutely badass with all the different tricks that it can do. Batman should not be wearing Iron Man suit. Yeah, 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 we know. Anyways, it definitely does feel like a bat suit that would be made using the technology available during that time. Where is the underwear over? Tights? Yeah! I know, you've been saying this shit since fucking July of last year. Like, literally the only fucking thing. I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't shower, I can't shit, I can't fantasize about Robert Pattinson's Batman without hearing you say those goddamn fucking words. Move the fuck on! That's in my appearance in Adam Bates' Batman review. Prove your continuity one. I'm the creator of the meme cinematic universe. Do you really expect continuity? And the chemistry between Terry and Bruce is so good, and the relationship between the two is very believable. The animation is great, future Gotham looks amazing, I love the influence of rock in the soundtrack. The only big problems I have are with the opening and closing credits that seem cheap and just out of place and weird. And the Joker's gang isn't really that memorable, nor is there anything charismatic about any of them. I mean, for fuck's sake, Ace had more charisma, and he's just vibing throughout the entire movie. <laughs> Genuinely, the only ones that are the most memorable to me is the twins, just because they were hot. Overall, the movie is surprisingly really good, has amazing fight scenes, and of course, the iconic death of the Joker. Voice acting is great, and I barely have much complaints about it. It's definitely not a masterpiece, but it's a very good watch. Mary Sue Trash. Nah, I'm kidding. Batman Mystery of the Batwoman is a sequel to Mask of the Phantasm and Sub-Zero, and was released on October 21st, 2003. The movie follows the story of a new character in Gotham, Batwoman, voiced by Kyra Sedgwick, causing trouble with the goons and Batman himself, given how she tends to not care about human life, which ruins the reputation of the Bat logo. So Bruce hunts down to find out who Batwoman is, all while Batwoman is going after Penguin and his crew, trying to take them down. Throughout this movie, you get these times where you think Batwoman is someone, but it ends up possibly being someone else, and then possibly someone else, until it's revealed that Batwoman is not just one person, but three. You have the motives of Kathy Duquesne, voiced by Kimberly Brooks, who's trying to get revenge on her father for being the death of her own mother. The motives of Rocky, voiced by Kelly Ripa, who's trying to get evidence on the Penguin in order to break her boyfriend out of jail. And the motives of Sonya, voiced by Elisa Gabrielli, who's getting revenge for the fire set on her family's local business that they'd never recovered from. Meanwhile, Penguin doesn't really have that much of a motive, except for take something or 
I don't know, to be honest. Unlike Phantasm or even Sub-Zero, this movie doesn't really have that much depth in its story. And it's just more of a fun, light-hearted hour and 15-minute special, which there's nothing wrong about that. But it just kind of ends up being a subpar, semi-enjoyable experience. The different twists when it comes to Batwoman were kind of fun, even if they were a bit obvious. And Penguin and Bane are treated so much better than previous incarnations. Though I will say, I definitely enjoy the Arkham games Penguin and Bane in voice and performance-wise over these movies, but I'll still take these over Burt and Schumacher versions. This movie's definitely more of a comedy in my eyes, and as we've discussed before, a Batman comedy can be done severely wrong. But here, it's done fine. I don't really mind it, especially how all the jokes are coming from new characters or characters that seem the type to crack a joke, and rarely any are delivered by Batman himself. Tim Drake is also in this movie, voiced by Ellie Marenthal, and I think he's possibly one of my favorite Robins. I'm not a big fan of him in the Arkham games, but in here, there's just the sense of father and son wholesomeness when him and Batman are working together. And he never gets on my nerves, unlike another Robin kid I know of. There are love dynamics between Bruce and some of the characters that I feel just didn't hit. Like him and Kathy were kind of weird to watch and be around. And then there's the Barbara Gordon scene, which downright makes me uncomfortable. But spring break will be coming up soon, and I'll be back in Gotham for two whole weeks. Won't that be nice? I just saw the news, and I was wondering if you'd gotten a new partner. Someone a little... older? Because if you had, I'd be really upset. Because I thought you and I were... you know. But other than that... the movie's fine. The soundtrack has its moments, like the Rocky apartment scene. Or when I heard Danny Elfman's signature piano. Which there is no way in hell he didn't have any bit to play a part of the soundtrack because that is his piano. Anyone else who uses that piano, you can't. Danny Elfman has pretty much made that his piano. <laughs> And the last thing I have to say about the movie is I really like the redesign that was done for Batman. I know not for specifically this movie, but I still like it due to the suit now being black and gray. What I'm not a big fan of, though, is the design of Batwoman. I just feel like it's too bright, and I think it would have looked a lot better if the red was a lot darker and it was black instead of silver. But other than that, like I said before, this movie's fine, it's somewhat enjoyable, but you're not gonna really get much depth from it, which is why it's probably the weakest of the four movies covered in this video. Overall, these movies are actually pretty fucking good, and they stood the test of time. Even one of the weaker movies isn't a bad film or a bad experience, and when this series creates a banger, 
it's a fucking banger. Just think about the fact that the best Batman movie of all time is animated. Like that, that's fucking insane. And what's also insane is that most people don't know about these movies and that sucks because they're amazing. I'm glad that at least more people are finding out about Mask of the Phantasm, but I still think all four of these movies should be given the recognition that they deserve. And if you haven't seen these, go and do yourself a favor and see them because they truly are incredible. No. 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 No.